Welcome back to another week of Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we wrap up all the moves and trends in agricultural markets in a nice little 10-minute podcast episode just to keep you up to date. I'm Olivia Agar and Robert Herman is here with me again today to talk about some of the latest uh, analysis our team's been reporting on on the Mercado website. Before we get started, though, a shout out to our sponsor for this week, that is Currawera Merino. And they have their annual on-site Merino ram sale coming up on the 2nd of November. If it's the time to make the switch to a more modern Merino genetics that are tested for a high rainfall environment, their industry benchmark through ASBVs and SIRA evaluation choice for rams, get along to their sale or contact Anthony Close and the team at Currawera for some more details. Now, Rob, I don't usually like starting on a negative note, but in the spirit of keeping talking about Merino, uh, take us through this week's wool market. I see there's down another 71 cents for the uh, Eastern market indicator this week, so I can't imagine there's too many happy sellers out there at these levels. No, there's not, Liv, and um, it's, it's again another disappointing week. We've known for some time now, for some weeks and months, that the demand for wool is just um, non-existent almost. It's evaporated under this COVID issue. The problem with the wool industry is that while demand might have fallen away, supply keeps coming. And this week, um, the supply came forward. It's not record supply, but it's just a little bit too much for the market. And of course, that pushes the market down. That's going to be a problem going forward. Um, to, to probably just rather than bang on about how bad the market is now, when, one of the things I was interested in this week was Andrew Woods's article where he had a look at the rolling five-year price ranks for merino wool against other non-wool apparel fibres. Um, and what we were looking to do is just check whether merino prices are following the general pattern or whether they uh, are going their own way. The normal thing that we've seen in the past is that wool actually is not operating in its own, on its own. It's linked to the other fibres. And in fact, um, that's what's happening now. The, uh, the rolling five-year ranks uh, are following the same pattern as the other five-year, uh, other major apparel fibres. The one exception is cotton, which has taken, um, you know, is moved a little bit at this stage. Cotton looks to be out of position in terms of its price value. And anybody who wants to know a bit more about that, have a look at what Andrew's written about. Um, I liked his summary at the finish, um, and it's a good thing to be saying in, from an analyst. Uh, it says really what this article can be summed up as there's nothing to see here, move on. Even though the, the market is negative, things are moving in their normal patterns and that wool is following other commodities. And uh, as I say, with the exception of cotton, which seems to have, have bounced, everything else is following along pretty much the same. So. Again, we're going to see, Liv, that the wool market has not got the capacity to handle much volume at the moment. And we, we know that uh, consumer confidence is the thing that drives wool. And is there much tip to um, be offered in the, in the weeks ahead or are people already starting to just assume that they um, would be passing in at the rates that they're at? Um, yeah, look, we're getting into the spring shearing, of course, and that means that uh, volumes start to ramp up. Normal shearing patterns will mean that volume will ramp up. We're thinking there's about 40,000 bales a week that's going to be coming forward. That's a rough, rough number, but it gives you an idea. 
uh, and at the same time, we're saying that the market can only uh, absorb somewhere between 20 and 25,000 in this, in this uh, COVID-affected time. So the problem there is that if farmers come forward and sell the 40,000 bales, we could see the market absolutely collapse. And I know that's a, it's a, a pretty traumatic word to use. But on the other hand, if we uh, pass in wool and support the market to some degree at these levels, so keeping the volumes around 20 to 25,000, it means we're going to be building stocks. And we talked about that in our other articles. We talked about that last night on a webinar we were, produced, uh, we were doing. It's a, it's a real conundrum at the moment because on the one hand, we don't want stocks to build. So that means we want farmers to sell wool and not, and not hold it because stocks, stocks building doesn't impact on the market now, but it slows down a recovery. On the other hand, uh, if we don't want stocks to build and we sell wool now, we just don't know who's going to buy it. So it's one of the most difficult situations I've seen for a market and especially for the wool market. Something that no one quite has the answer to at the moment. So it's just watching it play out as it, as it happens. Anyway, we'll move on to the uh, lamb market now. And, and there was a bit of good news in lamb and sheep markets this week after we had all those weeks of consecutive falls and the big dives down in, in lamb prices the bounce that we saw last week has pretty well been sustained this week, which is really good news. But one of the interesting things that we're looking at um, on Mercado this week is it's sort of the, all our analysts really are taking a look at trading scenarios at the moment. Both Adrian had a look at it for lamb and Angus on cattle. So now that we're sort of heading into spring, it's not too far off that typical trading scenario for lamb, which is buying lambs in at 15 kilos in like October, November and, and growing them out to around 22 kilo trade weight to turn off in the new year. So Adrian's done the number crunching for us and gone with the assumption that young lambs gaining around 250 grams a day uh, may take them around 61 days to get to trade weight, weight as a, a, a good um, accumulation. And so for that, the gross margin break even point on that is the, the market falling 32% uh, from where it is at currently before the trade goes negative. So that, of course, that's not taking into account any of the costs. So if we're adding in some feed and holding costs to get the net margin per head, even if there's a fall of around 15% in the market, uh, it does still provide a small net margin gain. So We've run a number of different trading scenarios in the article there uh, with varying costs and sale price expectations. So it's a, a good one to have a look at for those that are running their own budgets and crunching their own numbers soon. I think it's good also to go through Adrian's article because it's one of our longer articles, but this is a sort of um, subject that does need a little bit of explanation, Olivia, and, um, and he's gone to the trouble doing that. I think, uh, I think also the charts are very interesting. I haven't seen those configurations on Mercado before, so he's certainly bringing a new concept to, to, to what we do, and that's always good. We're always looking for fresh ideas. We're going to talk, um, just talking on that trading thing, um, perhaps we should also just mention Angus's article. I think you already did. But that question of um, should we be um, trading uh, can also be extended out to, to a farmer or a producer who's got steers on at the moment. You know, the steers traditionally 300 kilograms and you plan to take them through to um, feedlot weights later in the year, taking advantage of the spring period. 
the question is whether to sell them now at what are record levels or to hold them. And it, there's, there's a really um, good scenario painted by Angus outlined there. And basically, if we see the market come back more than 15% from where it is now, then we'll probably look back and say that we should have been selling those tiers now and worry about the excess grass we've got. But our, our um, average scenario or what we think is likely is that the market comes back about 5%. And in that case, um, it would mean that someone carrying cattle through good cattle on good feed would probably make some dollars. Of course, with all these sorts of scenarios, they are um, their, their models and calculations. So people need to do their own numbers and scenarios on them. And we put in the buy price for weaners at the moment at $4.80 a kilogram live weight. There were in fact steers this week that sold for $5. So when we've got a record time for price um, and you've got cattle in the paddock, it's, it's quite often quite easy to make the decision to sell. But this year, it's more difficult because of the amount of feed that's looking at us in front of us. So um, as, as usual with agriculture, and we, we talked about other commodities before about the difficult decisions to be made, same thing applies now with cattle. It's, um, it's not all straightforward and some care needs to be taken with trading, I think. Yeah, it's that way up between whether they cut their pasture for um, hay at the moment or if that's, um, you're better off spent being fed. Yes, and farmers, um, in a funny way, live farmers are uncomfortable with a lot of feed in front of them. They're certainly uncomfortable when there's no feed, but they're uncomfortable with a lot of feed in front of them when they don't have something to turn into money. And, and all we're saying here is just do the sums, have a look at it. Um, there is some risk to the cattle market because we are, I think Jamie Lee's article this week told us that we were 56% above this time last year. And, and that's completely out of whack with what's happening in the rest of the world and the rest of the markets. We know the reasons for it. This time last year, we were in terrible drought. And this time this year, we we're in fantastic conditions on the East Coast. So the, that change uh, tells us why the price has changed so much, but it does give us some concern about what's going forward. Yeah, especially when it's all, or nearly all restock activity that's driving those prices and we're so uncertain really about what the demand side of things is at the moment. Yes. And the, um, the other, the other, there are some other factors in there. I mean, we now have a four year low number of cattle on feed. So the cattle on, on feed lots that are coming off are being slaughtered at, at, at extraordinary prices for, for price for meat. And yet their, their numbers are low. Um, and also we've got the um, falling price of grain, which is going to make it attractive. So there, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios to play out yet, Olivia, that it's hard to put the, the proper weighting on each of them to know what's mm. going to finally happen. Um, but it's certainly a time when we should be watching carefully a whole lot of factors that go to make up uh, our markets. Uh, these volatile times, whether, whether we like it or not, in agriculture, we've got to deal with these volatile times in terms of markets. So it's about getting information and, um, and, and weighing up that information to the best of your ability to make decisions about going forward. Yeah, and we've even been seeing a fair bit of activity in grains at the moment. I know um, 
one thing that Angus touched on this week was that Chicago SRW has been strongly rallying over the last three weeks and, and that's on the back of Chinese demand uh, for US wheat, which has um, been driving it along with the declining prospects of the corn crop. So there's actually been reports out that Chinese officials have approved US wheat varieties for noodles and pizza dough, which has all been driving that demand and the wheat price really giving that a boost. So Bloomberg also reported last week that Kofco, which is China's biggest food company, they've bought 672,000 tonnes of US hard red winter wheat. And that's a lot. That's, you know, being more than all the wheat produced in Queensland last year and a half of this year's expected production. So it's, it's no wonder that the market's been moving in response to that. The other side of it, though, is that that rise in Chicago futures has been hampered locally by rising ASX wheat and the strong Aussie dollar to, to US. So even though that's come up a bit in the last few days, it has left that basis at close to lows for the contract. So it's always important to take in the different parts of that, um, that contract and um, assessing that going forward. You're right. And again, here's the big question for um, people producing grain this year. We've got a terrific crop coming, certainly here on the East Coast. Western Australia is just a little bit patchy. But um, do you lock in some price now at, uh, at the high 200s, 270, 280 a tonne on, on Australian Aussie dollar swaps? Or, um, or do, you, do you wing it? And, uh, because we've now got the grain price at export parity you know for the first time for a couple of years Australian grain now can compete price-wise with international prices so again there is a, a lot of different messages live coming into agriculture it's about keeping an eye on them from our perspective at least and for individual producers to and and consumers of grain uh, to just keep an eye on it with their perspective in mind and I think um, that's the best we can do live we, we don't have a crystal ball at Mercado but we do try and aggregate and collect as much as we can and and put it into a story that can help people make decisions exactly and what a way to sign off for today Rob <laughs> I think that'll do us <laughs> thank you to all our listeners again for tuning into Mercado's commodity conversations we encourage you to jump on the website to take a look at the articles that we've been talking about and discussing today and we hope you all keep safe and well until next week thanks